Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's V-Week on ESPN as we continue Jim Balvano's fight against cancer. College Football Live is presented by Dr. Pepper. Out of the tunnel on this Thursday afternoon, Kentucky quarterback Will Levis has announced he will declare for the 2023 NFL Draft. He could have applied for an additional year of eligibility due to the pandemic, but he'll declare instead. He's yet to announce if he will be playing in Kentucky's bowl game. And the Rose Bowl says, all right, let's go. We're in. The Rose Bowl reached an agreement that officially paves the way for the college football playoff to expand in the final two seasons of the current contract, 2024 and 2025. And some bad news for Michigan as first reported by the NFL Network and confirmed by ESPN. Running black Blake Quorum will undergo knee surgery. He is out for the weekend and likely the remainder of the season. Adam Rittenberg will be covering the Big Ten Championship and joins us now. Adam, we now know Michigan will be without Blake Corum, certainly for this game, likely the remainder of the season. What uh, will their approach have to be? Wendy, it'll be the same approach as they had for most of that Ohio State game. Blake Corum only had two carries before that left knee injury forced him to the sidelines. So it'll be a heavy dose of Donovan Edwards at running back. Edwards is an, a former ESPN Top 70 national recruit, showed his speed with those two long touchdown runs against the Buckeyes. He does have an injury, but it's a hand injury, so it won't limit him as a runner. And the bigger development is you're going to see a continued J.J. McCarthy making plays for Michigan. Sources at Michigan, sources around McCarthy all season have told me, wait, wait until he gets turned loose. Wait until he gets to play free and really be the focal point of the offense. You saw that in the Ohio State game with all the big plays. I think you're going to see more of that against Purdue and presumably Michigan going on to the college football playoffs. So now the focal point shifts from Blake Corum to quarterback J.J. McCarthy. Well, certainly no time like the present. Uh, meanwhile, following Saturday's win over Indiana, Purdue quarterback Aiden O'Connell revealed his older brother, Sean, had recently passed away. O'Connell has been away from the team since then. Adam, what do we know about O'Connell's status for Saturday? Well, Wendy, Purdue coach Jeff Brom told me that Aiden O'Connell returned to Purdue's team on Wednesday. He has practice and he is on track to play. Obviously a very difficult situation. You saw how emotional he was at the end of their win over Indiana. His brother had passed away you know, shortly before that. So certainly um, you know, he'll be playing with a heavy heart, but he certainly will be playing against Michigan. And he really gives Purdue an opportunity in this game because of, of how talented he is as a passer, one of the more accurate passers in the country. And Purdue has one of the better passing attacks in the Big Ten, which should translate to this game being played indoors. Normally, the indoor environment favors the faster, more talented team. Michigan certainly has more of that. But because of O'Connell, Purdue should be able to keep up at least for part of this game. 
All right, Adam, thank you. We appreciate it. Look forward to the weekend. We say hello now to Sam Macho, Stanford Steve, as we continue with College Football Live, and we'll pick it up right there with that Big Ten championship game. Steve, you know, agree or disagree with what Adam, Adam had to say with the regards to the absence of Blake Corum? Yeah, I think it's brutal. I think it's brutal news, uh, Wendy, when you think about it, because there was hope. You know, he suited up. He showed his team, hey, I'm going to try and go and give it what I can in the biggest game of the year. And I, I think with that, people thought, okay, he's not that far away with some time off. He'll be able to come back. It's really unfortunate. When you think about the big picture, I just think about guys like Blake Corum and Hendon Hooker, who just have had unbelievable seasons. And now they're not going to be able to finish it. As far as on the field, I think Adam hit it on the head, you know, with, with the idea of J.J. McCarthy. His playmaking ability was the reason why Michigan won that game and overcame the absence of Blake Corum. So I would expect more of J.J. in the, in the run game, and obviously Donovan Edwards uh, with that hand injury, hand injury should be a little more healthier. And Steve, I would say it's brutal, but not as brutal for the team as people may think, mainly because of the last name you just said in Donovan Edwards. So three times this year, mm. Donovan Edwards has rushed for over 100 yards. The last one he did was last week against Ohio State when he rushed for two, over 200 yards on 12 on 22 carries. He had a 75-yard run here, an 85-yard run later. Michigan has depth. They know how to survive without Blake Corum, number one. Number two, we saw the offensive output, maybe you might even say explosion, from J.J. McCarthy offensively. They had the quarterback battle early in the season. It's going to be McCarthy. Who is it going to be? And he won the spot, and finally he was able to air it out. And so I don't think this loss for the team will be as detrimental because of their depth and also because of J.J. McCarthy's uh, ability to throw the ball now that, we, that was revealed in in their game against Ohio State. Michigan, by the way, guys, one win away from tying a school record 13 wins in a season, which is not bad. But then you consider this school's been playing football since the 1880s. So it's been a while. They are on a roll. Uh, speaking of on a roll, finally, the college football playoff can say the same thing. It looks like the last hurdle has been cleared with regards to expansion. The Rose Bowl says, okay, we're in. And that officially paves the way for the playoff to expand in the final two seasons of the current contract. That's 2024 and 2025. Heather Dennis joins us now. And so, Heather, it does look like we will, in fact, expand to a 12-team playoff system. What does this do, though, uh, now going forward once we start with these regular season games? Well, CFP Executive Director Bill Hancock told me today that he thinks that the regular season is going to be more important than ever, particularly in the month of November, because all of us are going to be talking about more teams in contention for the college football playoff. He said he believes that the sport as a whole is going to be even healthier with more expansion. And he said, when people ask me why 12, my answer is simple, participation. There's going to be so many more student athletes out there with an opportunity to compete for a national title. So, look, we're talking about the final two years of the current contract, 2024, 2025. After that, they'll get together and go to the bargaining table about a future contract. But what can they learn, Heather, in this, uh, these last two years of what we have now uh, before they do that? 
Well, well, there are so many questions remaining, Wendy, and I talked to Lara Farber, who's the chair of the Rose Bowl Management Committee, and how the Rose Bowl works into this in the future in 2026 is still a question. There were no promises made to the Rose Bowl, but the CFP acknowledged the importance of the tradition of the historic day, New Year's Day, and the time slot, 2 o'clock Pacific time. And as they move forward and they watch these games in the 12-team format in 24 and 25, they will help them answer the questions, is having it on home, on home fields, the best situation for first round and maybe even quarterfinal rounds? Because right now in the 12-team format, the idea is to have the higher seed host in the first round, and then the quarterfinals will be with the bowl games. And so those are things that they will continue. Multiple TV partners in the next contract is something that everyone at the CFP would like to see. Right now, ESPN is currently the sole rights holder through 2025, and will have the first rights to broadcast those additional games in 24 and 25. So where the games are going to be played, the specific dates of those games have yet to be determined. They know they're going to be competing against NFL viewers for those um, those playoff games. So there are still a lot of questions, but 24 and 25 is when they expect to learn a lot to help answer some of those, Wendy. It, it almost makes your head spin. We're all going to have a PhD in playoff expansion, Heather. Thank you. And again, the ready or not, here we come because the final hurdle to expansion uh, does appear to have been cleared. If you're wondering how it works, you're not alone. And again, it's a fluid situation, but here's what the new format will look like. The top four ranked conference champs get a first round bye, so they won't play in the first round. The other eight teams at either the higher seeds or a neutral site they choose. There you go. The four quarterfinal games and two semifinal games will be the six bowl games. And then the national title game will remain at a neutral site the way we have it now. You don't look, it doesn't matter. We'll get to the details, Steve. The bottom line is we're going to go from four teams to 12 and we're going to do it sooner rather than later. Who benefits do you think in this scenario the most? The college football postseason, Wendy. I mean, I go back to growing up. You didn't move from your TV on New Year's Day. Every game was huge and you wanted to watch it. Now, with the tie-ins, all those games are going to be playoff games. So you're going to have more games that matter. You know, with the bowl set up now, with the two-game semifinal playoff format, everything builds towards then. And now we got to lose, you know, different games on different days because of TV situations and the NFL and all that. Now, the biggest benef- benefiter of this, this new format is these bowl games. We are going to have a monster postseason now. Oh, Steve, that's who benefits, but some of who may not benefit that people aren't talking about are the players. So now we're adding extra games to a college football season when we're already seeing so many players get injured. Blake Corum, done for the season. Hendon Hooker, done for the season. It's all great. Revenue's coming in everywhere, and schools are getting a lot of money, and all these other things. But the players might have more access or ability or opportunity, if you will, to get injured. And now all of a sudden that might hurt your NFL career. And so that's what, as a former player, a guy who played four years in college, went to a national championship game, played in the Fiesta Bowl, played in the Holiday Bowl. Bowl games are great when there's one of them. But now when there's two and three and four extra games, it could hurt your future, at least when you're thinking about the NFL. Sam, they are getting paid now. There are, There is compensation now. Yeah, not all of them. So, not all of them. 
Not all well, of them, Steve. Well, Not, I mean, you're right. You're right. So certain players, like you make a phenomenal point. You make a great point. Some players are getting paid, and a lot of players might say, "I'm going to stay in college and I'm going to take my NIL money, whether it's yep. one million, two million, if I'm a quarterback." But there are a lot of players that aren't getting paid. A majority of players, if they are getting paid, it's very minimal. And so, what I would love is, and, and Kevin Warren can, can go to this point if he wants, but there could be a conversation about revenue sharing. There's going to be a lot of additional TV revenue coming in with all these extra games, right? There's extra games, that's extra content. That means more money coming in for, from advertisements. So players should get a share of that as well because only the quarterbacks or the stop, top star players are getting a majority of the NIL money, not the 70% or 80% of the other guys. Listen, I would say this to you both. Anytime you have a change of this magnitude, and we all know this, it's not a it's not a smooth, perfect scenario. You're going to have kinks that pop up. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to work things out. I have no doubt that we haven't seen probably the final resolution of all this, but at least now we know where we're headed. And if you're wondering, because I, I, I know I did, what it would look like this year. Let's say we were already there, right? Uh, a scenario we've looked, we've charted for you. This is what it would look like, the 12-team playoff format. Georgia, Michigan, TCU, and USC would all have buys in the quarterfinals. We talked about that earlier. That helps explain it. Those first-round games would be at the host site, and then the bowl games would follow. But again, we will not see this until the year 2024. Ahead on College Football Live, we know it is hard to beat a team twice in one season. That is exactly what USC is hoping as they prepare for a rematch with Utah, standing in the way between the Trojans and a national playoff berth. Also, you would be hard-pressed to find a bigger matchup in the Big 12. K-State gets another crack at spoiling TCU's perfect season. We'll talk about what a win would look like for the Wildcats. College Football Live is presented by delicious ice-cold Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. And in part by T-Mobile. Don't miss the T-Mobile SEC Championship Concert with Brothers Osborne, live Saturday at noon Eastern Standard Time. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to College Football Live, presented by Dr. Pepper. Takes off, inside the five, lunging for the five. You're either elite or you're not. Complete domination. You got it better than that. I don't believe in putting limits on what you can accomplish. Undefeated into the championship game. This is a statement game. You want to go prove something, and that's the way we like it. Let's go kick these guys. Out. 
It's championship week across college football, which means there's a score to settle. How about the Pac-12? The Utes look to play spoiler for USC. They won the first meeting on a two-point conversion. Caleb Williams had five touchdowns, no picks in that one. Keeping it a dozen, Big 12 title is on the line with TCU and Kansas State as the Horn Frogs seek their first college football playoff appearance. K-State, meanwhile, looking for a Big Ten title number three. That would be the second most all-time. Some familiar foes in the SEC. It's Georgia and LSU, the fifth time they meet for the title. Second most in SEC history. LSU has won three of four, including in 2019. Quite the story developing in the AAC championship between UCF and Tulane. Tulane seeks its first AAC title while UCF aims for the fifth and final championship before moving to the Big 12 next year. Can't talk champ week without the Big 10. Number two, Michigan facing Purdue. Analytics says the Wolverines are an overwhelming 89% chance to win, the highest of any championship game this weekend. And the ACC title on the line Saturday, Clemson, North Carolina, and Charlotte. Clemson looking for conference title number eight. No other league school has ever made it to seven ACC title games, let alone won them. So some big other conference championship games this weekend. There's four more out there. UTSA, who just fell out of the college football playoff top 25, plays host to North Texas in the Conference USA championship game. Three of these four, by the way, can be watched on ESPN's family of networks throughout the day on Saturday. We mentioned it before, but it is worth repeating. A flashback, USC hopefully for Trojan fans headed to the playoff. But remember October 15th, it was Utah who beat USC by a point. They would love to do it again and really mess things up for a Trojan team headed in the right direction. Paolo Ugetti is in Las Vegas ahead of the Pac-12 championship, joins us now. Paolo, look, the, the basic question here is what USC has to do differently to avoid a different outcome. Well, Wendy, there's no doubt that the offense and Caleb Williams are going to do their thing, right? They had over 40 points in that loss against Utah. They've been dominating almost every game since. It's really going to come down to the defense. And we know that their takeaways have been the story of their game on that side of the ball. 25 takeaways, the most in the nation. But it's going to come down to them stopping tight end Dalton Kincaid. Kincaid had his best game of his career against USC in Salt Lake City in that game. Over 234 yards receiving. They could not stop him. Whatever USC tried to do on defense, they just could not limit him. So defensive coordinator Alex Grinch talked this week about how that was an embarrassment for the defense. And so it's really going to come down to limiting a player like him, as well as obviously quarterback Cameron Rising, in order for them to be able to win this time around. Listen, let's talk about Cam Rising for just a minute. He's banged up. We know that. So given that, what will the adjustments have to be? Yeah, it's really unclear whether he's 100% or not. You know, Kyle Whittingham has talked about him being ready. Cam Rising has said he's ready. But that effect of him being banged up is going to trickle down. Tavion Thomas, who was their starting running back, he declared this week that he's going to the NFL draft. He had a toe injury. So it's going to come down to a player like sophomore Micah Bernard to step up. They really like to run the ball with Cam Rising, but because of his injury, they haven't been able to do that as much in recent games. So that's something that the USC defense can limit and can exploit. But it's going to be a tough uphill battle for Utah to be able to win twice against USC.
It's a hard thing, Paolo. It does spell some opportunity for some of these younger players. Thank you. If you're wondering about the odds to win the Pac-12 championship, take a look. This is according to Caesars Sportsbook. Oddsmakers leaning towards the Trojans, who are favored by two and a half points. Kyle Weddingham, okay with that, leaning toward embracing his underdog status. Well, you know, pretty much everyone's got them winning already and going to the playoffs and Caleb winning the Heisman and, you know, that's already kind of been uh, talked about. So so we love that role. We love the, the uh, chip on our shoulder, the the uh, nobody giving us a chance, and uh, we seem to thrive in that uh, capacity and in that, uh, in that world, and so we'll see. You know what, Steve? In this case, he's not wrong. It does seem like a lot of folks have this thing predetermined. But I, I know you've mentioned before, if there was one team in the Pac-12 that you would not want to get caught having to play twice in a season, it would be Utah. Why is that? Look how comfortable he was in that press conference, Wendy, as an <laughs> underdog. Utah loves, they love this situation that they're in. I thought Powell did a great job talking about Kincaid, talking about the injuries that Utah has on offense. But when you think about the Utah offense, they're so balanced and so good with Cam rising. Now they can use Kincaid as almost a decoy in certain situations. When they split him out, how is USC going to play for that? Because last week, when you look at Notre Dame, Michael Mayer went for nine catches, 98 yards, and two touchdowns. And what I think the biggest part of this game is, is for USC to play from ahead. You saw their defense play better last week. But that was because they were up multiple scores. They took Notre Dame out of their game plan and what they're comfortable with, and that's running the football. They limit Notre Dame to 20 rushes. I think it's 90-something yards, you know, about 3.5 a carry. So if USC could get out to a lead, that would be the best-case scenario. But I think that's going to be a lot harder said or a lot harder said than done uh, going against Utah. Yeah, I would agree. And, Sam, I asked Paulo the question. I'll ask it to you. You know, what, is you, what does USC have to do differently this time around, I recognize it was an extremely close ball game, but nonetheless, they didn't win. They didn't win. They have to do what they do best, which is force turnovers. I mean, we say this stat like, oh, it's not a big deal. USC has a plus 23 turnover margin. Like, if that, first of all, that number is insane. Number two, the next person's not even close. The next per team on that list is Duke, and they have 14. They're plus 14. USC has taken the ball away from other teams 27 times this season and only given it away four times. And so, in the previous game against Utah, they only forced one takeaway. But last week against Notre Dame, they forced two the week before when they played UCLA they forced four and so I get it the defense they gave over over 500 over 550 yards last time they played Utah statistically their defense is not very good but in the one stat that matters taking the ball away that's where they need, that's where they need to double down and if they want to win the game that's what they're gonna have to do yeah, no question. And that's uh, to your point. You got to dance with the girl you brought, right? Continue to do what they've done that has allowed them to be so effective so far. All right, let's take a look now at our Dr. Pepper Big 12 Championship game preview. Both Kansas State and TCU are winning by two scores a game. TCU looking for title number two. Kansas State could make it three Big 12 championships, which would tie for the second most in conference history. And obviously, Sam, TCU also has a whole lot on the line with regard to the college football playoff. But let me ask you, who from Kansas State, in your estimation, poses the biggest threat to the Horned Frogs? It's got to be Will Howard. It has to be quarterback Will Howard. The reason why is that 
when he so let's put it this way the last time they played each other Adrian Martinez started that game then Adrian Martinez got hurt Will Howard continue the rest of the game and though they lost Will Howard had this team out to a large lead and TCU had to do one of their patented comebacks well since that game Will Howard threw in that game he threw two touchdowns one pick since then Will Howard number one hasn't lost number two he's thrown 11 touchdowns and one interception in the remaining games that he's played and so now not only does he have the experience but he has an entire week to prepare for TCU. He didn't have that the last time around because Adrian Martinez was the guy. And so for me, he's the X factor. He has the elusiveness, the ability to run the ball, but his passing ability is what stands out to me. He's going to be the X factor. Of course, Deuce Vaughn, throw him in that mix, but quarterback Will Howard is going to be the X factor in this game. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, Dan. Let's flip this, uh, Steve. How about TCU? Who do you think could be critical? Uh, I think their defense. I think their defense has to come to play here, Wendy. They got caught in that first half, as Sam pointed out. Will Howard made some great throws early on, and they Kansas State did a great job of using TCU's aggressiveness against them, whether it was overrunning inside zone plays, you know, not getting out on, on, on flat zone. So when I think about TCU, they have been the most approved unit, I think, in the sport the last month. It started with that game against Texas and Austin. Their defense brought the fight that week, and they've brought it every week since. So I think TCU's defense has to be better than they were the first time they played Kansas State. Listen, Sam, we asked this yesterday. I'm going to keep asking it because I, I think it's important, and it'll be extremely interesting if TCU should lose and anything's possible do you think they should be penalized enough to fall out of that top floor a uh, top four and miss the playoff even if TCU even if TCU loses I still think they deserve a spot in the college football playoff here's why number one they have the number one strength of record in all of college football what that means is if any other team played the schedule that they played like it'd be hard for them to do what they did it's a hard strength of record they still have one of the best strength of schedules top 40 in strength of schedule better than anyone else at least right now in the top four that's kind of piece one piece two of this whole conversation is they earn the right to get into their championship weekend teams like Alabama didn't right that's a two loss Alabama team so you're telling me an undefeated TCU that even if they lose they'll have one loss you want to put in a two loss Alabama or whoever else in there no I don't think that's number one based off strength of schedule strength of record it doesn't make sense but also you don't want to penalize a team for earning the right to play in their championship game and, and if they happen to lose to a team that's another top ranked team and so I still believe that TCU should be in the game. Now, I will say this. It will depend how they lose if they lose. If TCU gets blown out, end of the day, these are human beings watching these games. They might look at that and say, man, that defense isn't what we thought it was. Maybe this team doesn't, doesn't deserve a spot. Yeah, listen, that's when human nature comes into play. And I agree with you. I personally, especially if it's close, do not think they should fall out. But I'm going to tell you right now, I think it's quite possible they will. Uh, best case scenario for TCU, just win this ball game and take, take away the debate. We have more conference championships to talk about as we continue with College Football Live. Deja vu in the ACC. Clemson, North Carolina will vie for the conference crown. We'll look at what's at stake for both the Tigers and the Tar Heels coming up.
time now for our weekend wake up brought to you by Wendy's Breakfast. UCF and Tulane will face off in the American Championship this weekend. Just three weeks after facing each other in the regular season, UCF won that meeting 38 to 31. Steve, uh, it's a lot of fun to talk about all these championship games. I'm going to ask you what, in your opinion, will be the biggest factor in this one? Tulane's defense, Wendy, they have to be better than they were the first time they played. UCF ran for 336 yards. Quarterback John Rice Plumley for UCF to transfer from Ole Miss ran wild. Over 170 yards for him. That is not Tulane's style. They only give up about 150 uh, on the ground for the year. And I think a lot of that, that's higher because of that 330 they, they gave up to UCF. So I expect Tulane to be a lot more dialed in defensively not give up those uh, big plays, and they also can't turn the ball over, as you saw they did in this game earlier. I expect a more buttoned-up effort from Tulane at home. Well, you're definitely right. That defense has to step up. To your point, Stanford Steve, the first series in that game a few weeks ago when UCF played uh, Tulane, John Rice Palmy had a 47-yard run. The next series, John Rice Palmy had a 67-yard uh, run. And so that defense has to step up. Nick Anderson, Dorian Williams, two of the star linebackers, have to be ready for that speed. But then offensively, Tajay Spears, running back for Tulane, has to ball, and I believe that he will. He had a leg injury a few years back, and he's been trying to recover from it and week by week you've seen him get better and better and better I was uh, having a conversation with a former Tulane running back who played in the NFL and he was saying man this guy's special each of the last seven games Tajay Spears has ran for over 100 yards 180 yards last week he keeps on getting better and better he's elusive he's slippery he's hard to bring down he's got game-breaking speed he's dominant He's dominant. In fact, he's rushed for 100 yards in six straight games. That is tied for the longest streak in the FBS, so he's certainly making his presence known. And Tulane, by the way, if you haven't followed as closely, one of the better stories in college football this season. What an incredible turnaround for Tulane. Meanwhile, some familiar foes, and that's putting it lightly, will meet in the SEC championship game. Georgia and LSU will be uh, facing each other for the fifth time. We'll also talk about ACC. We've got Clemson and North Carolina. Live reports from both games coming up. You're watching College Football Live. Presented by Dr. Pepper. We continue to talk championship weekend and stop me if you've seen this movie before, but we'll talk in SEC title game the fifth time LSU and Georgia will meet for all the marbles. LSU has won all but one and done it, by the way, convincingly. Two of those, by the way, crowned LSU national champions. Our reporter Alex Scarborough is covering the SEC championship, and let's start with this. All eyes will be on LSU quarterback Jaden Daniels. Alex, after it was revealed he's still in a walking boot, from an ankle injury earlier this season. What can you tell us? Well, Brian Kelly was unequivocal earlier this afternoon. He said not only is Jaden practice all week, he is good to go. He will be part of the game plan. The one thing we don't know, and I think the one thing we won't really know until the game gets started, is how much mobility he actually has in that sprained ankle. Athleticism is such a big part of his game in that offense. He has twice as many rushing touchdowns and twice as many rushing yards as the, as the team's leading rusher, Josh Williams. Uh, there's good news on that front as well because Williams, who missed the last two games, is back healthy. 
Kelly said he watched him practice all week, and it's the first time he's seen him playing at such a rate that he's fully confident he's going to be able to go out there and be explosive. Alex, there's no magic bullet, that's for sure. But uh, what has LSU said about slowing down this offensive attack from Georgia? Yeah, there's really two things to watch here. One is is LSU's uh, ability to get to affect Stetson Bennett and, and, and get to the quarterback. In, in their nine wins, they have 26, 25 sacks. In their three losses, they have zero. They have to improve that in order to, to create some kind of pressure on Stennett and create turnovers, really. But the other part of this is is Georgia's tight ends. Everybody knows the All-American Brock Bowers. He's kind of their Swiss Army knife. But also Darnell Washington, six foot seven, can catch the football and run after the catch. Brian Kelly said they got to know where both of those guys are, are at all times, and they really do a lot in terms of personnel with their ability to be effective in the passing game and in the running game. He said if they don't have a good game plan for both of them, they will wreck the game. All right, Alex, should be a good one. Thank you. And we'll turn now to Stanford, Steve. And Steve, since you're our resident brainiac, you're going to tell me now how LSU can pull <laughs> off this upset. I'm listening. I thought Alex did a great job pointing it out. LSU knows what they have to do, and it starts with that front seven of their defensive side. Wendy, they got run over last week. 50 rushes by Texas A&M, almost 300 yards on the ground. And what bothers me is LSU knew that was the only way A&M could beat them, was run it like they did, and A&M did that. And now you bring in Georgia, who does everything off of their run game. LSU really needs to ramp up their defensive line. They have NFL guys up there. They got the great freshman in Perkins. LSU needs to limit Georgia in the run game to try and at least make them one-dimensional and help out their guys in the back end. That would certainly make it easier, but it is easier said than done, Sam. But if I had to say, if you had to say the Achilles heel of this talented Georgia team, what would it be? I would say it's turnovers. I really would. So we talked about that plus 23 turnover margin for USC. Georgia's is minus three. It's like negative turnover margin. They turn the ball over more than they take it away. Now, granted, they're still undefeated. They're still a defense that doesn't give up explosive, explosive plays, doesn't give up a lot of sacks. But you'll see quarters or even halves where they don't play well. The first half against Georgia Tech didn't even barely, you know, not even double digits. Even there's games that you look against Missouri where it's like, what is going on? Who is this team? And so if Georgia were to have one of those halves or quarters like you've seen against teams like Missouri, Georgia Tech, and they turn the ball over, that could be the recipe for disaster if LSU plays their best ball. Mm, all right. I'm going to call it a perfect storm. But, you know, you never know. Stranger things have happened. It could be a really bad storm, I guess, but I think it's got to be perfect. All right, let's switch gears now and talk about the ACC, an interesting matchup between Clemson and North Carolina. Of course, uh, the Tigers' quarterback question never really truly resolved itself, and then UNC's Drake May really struggled down the stretch, and now they'll take the field to face off for an ACC championship. David Hale will be there covering this game in Charlotte. Uh, and, David, let's start with, with Clemson's quarterback question. They say there is no question. I think everybody else <laughs> tends to disagree. Uh, where does the dust settle on this one? Yeah, I think the first thing to take away is DJ Uyungle is going to be the starter this week. Dabo has insisted upon it. He's not thrilled about being asked about the, uh, the quarterback situation regardless. And I think it makes some sense. Look, Kate Klubnik has a ton of talent, and I get if you're a Clemson fan and you've seen DJ for two years now be mediocre at best, 
uh, you want to see the alternative. But Kate Klubnik's gotten some playing time over the last month, and he's done nothing to show that he's ready to lead the offense in any significant way better than what DJ has done. Moreover, the matchup against North Carolina is probably a favorable one for DJ. The biggest thing is when, when you get him off his spot, he has struggled a little bit. Uh, North Carolina's pass rush has not been great this year. Carol uh, Clemson should be able to run the ball on Carolina. I think it actually sets up for DJ to have some success. Is it the last success he has with Clemson? I think that's a good question. But I think we're definitely going to see him play most, if not all, of this one. Yeah, I agree. We'll see him now. The question is what we see in the future. Listen, I mentioned it before, David, but Drake May struggled a little bit down the stretch. I still had a solid season, but what can he do to get back on track in this game? Yeah, a little bit of his struggles were not really his fault. They were by receivers. You saw the game against Georgia Tech. Josh Downs had a, a catch in his hands in the end zone that would have won it uh, and didn't come to fruition. But the biggest problem is the O-line has not looked good. Um, everybody has gotten after Drake, and that offense is really good, but it's like a sports car, man. It's, you know, it looks fantastic when it, everything's going right. But you get a spark plug off here or there, uh, and it doesn't look so good anymore. It's pulled over on the side of the road, which is largely where it's been the last couple of weeks. I think if, if they can protect Drake, he gets some time to go through his progressions. He's shown he's more than capable of carving up any secondary, including Clemson's. All right, should be a good one, Dave. I, I also, I love the sports car analogy, only from the South. I, I can say that because that, that's where I'm from, too, and it makes perfect sense. Yeah. All right, we, look. Uh, if if you're going to win, you got to have, you gotta have uh, pickup. Yeah, could not agree more. Could not agree more. That and Rubbin's racing, David. We'll see you over the weekend. Uh, listen, we are nearing the close of another college football season, and we are reminded of what makes it so great. Traditions like jump around in Madison. We'll look at how it got its start straight ahead. We take a look now at the one final team vote brought to you by Dr. Pepper and the votes are in and it appears you believe the one final team, the Trojans from USC. They're trying to turn things around so they too can be the one final team. That's Wisconsin. They won't be playing over the weekend. They have a new head coach though in hopes of changing that. But in the meantime, the Badgers can hang their hat on one of the better traditions in college football. Here's how Jump Around got its start. in college football. You can feel it here in Wisconsin. Third quarter ends, and as soon as the beat drops, the entire stadium starts jumping around. This brings the whole stadium together for two and a half minutes on a Saturday, jumping around in unison, cheering on their Badgers. Jump up, jump up, and get down! This is the story of how jump around became the best tradition in college football. Jump, 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 jump! Colin Mark, second six. My name is Ryan Sondrup. I play tight end at the University of Wisconsin. 1998, I was a marketing intern uh, for, the, for the athletic department. I had a knee injury that put me off the team. So I remember going to Kevin Klender's office and saying, hey, we need to do something more at the football games. My name is Kevin Klender. 
I'm the assistant athletic director for marketing promotions. We are talking about music, we were talking about the experience in the stadium. Could we do something more from, you know, to get the players excited and, and, and juiced up? I was just the intern, so, you know, they kind of rolled their eyes and said, why don't you, why don't you come up with some ideas and you, you get back to us. He met with some of his teammates about music that they may enjoy hearing throughout the game. I went to Wando's, a local bar in Madison. My name is Eric Weissman. I was a former defensive lineman at the University of Wisconsin. I was bartending at Wando's. Sonny came in, he was so excited. He's like, guys, we get to choose songs for the game. I had a little green notebook that I wrote down all my ideas. Luckily, Wise was behind the bar and had a couple dollars out of cash register there to feed the jukebox. We were looking for something that was popular. One of the songs was Metallica. I feel like there may have been a Motley Crue in there. House of Pain, they were big in the 90s. What's up, I'm Everlast from House of Pain. Let's talk about Jump Around. Pack it up, pack it in, let me begin. It was released in 1992. That's 30 years ago. I was a big dance hall reggae kind of fan, and they would say things like, jump around if you love freedom. DJ Muggs from Cypress Hill, who produced it, I was out writing the lyrics in his driveway, and when he heard me say the jump around, he was like, hold up. But it didn't become jump around until the horn got added. We all stepped back and we're like, ooh. So get out to see and jump around. All right, now, back to the story. We put jump around in, it was just those first four notes. And then all of a sudden it just kind of hits. Just looked at each other and just like, this one's got to be on the top of the list. October 10th, 1998, homecoming game versus Drew Brees' Purdue team. A minute left in the third quarter. Drew Brees was thrown for like 80 times that game. And right on the Wisconsin sideline, Fletch picks him off. It's picked off. And you can see it coming. Jamar Fletcher, touchdown Wisconsin. The third quarter ended. Purdue was now heading to the student section. The break was happening, the offense was coming on the field, and that's when I remembered, it's like, oh my gosh, play it. In that moment, that song jumped out to me and chose it that night. The students exploded like popcorn. We're all going wild on the sidelines. They're actually playing the song we picked on Monday. <laughs> this is unbelievable. It energized not only the crowd, but also the players, and led to a victory for homecoming. It's one of those nights at Camp Randall that, that you never forget. Wisconsin with a seven-point win over the Boilermakers. When the energy and the excitement carried over from one season to the next, at that point, we started to think, well, we might have something here. I've wanted to go for a long time. Just never really got the opportunity. I was pretty nervous waiting for that moment in between the third and fourth quarter. Walking up the stairs, the sun popped out. It was kind of surreal. What's up, Badgers? On behalf of myself and all the House of Pain and all the real ones that showed up in this weather, thank you for keeping the song alive for 30 years. Let's go!
I jumped around like a silly guy, and I don't do that. That's pretty wild. Their energy jumped into me, and all of a sudden, I was doing the Wisconsin jump around tradition. <laughs> The moment hit me because it's 30 years later and it still has the same effect on these young people. Those people are the same age I was when I wrote it. That song changed my life. It's gone generational. My twin girl come and they do the jump around. Something that dad and his buddies and teammates helped start you know, 25 seasons ago. Thank you, Ryan and Eric, for uh, putting me on that playlist. <laughs> All right, just tremendous. If you don't like Jump Around, we can't be friends. That's all there is to it. All right, Championship Week memes, previews, and predictions. We'll tell you what we think happens coming up. College Football Live is presented by Delicious Ice Cold Dr. Pepper. The one fans deserve. Some off the field news to report. Nebraska's interim head coach this season, Mickey Joseph, was arrested Wednesday. Suspicion of strangulation and third degree domestic assault. He was immediately placed on administrative leave. As you may know, Matt Rule was just named the Nebraska head coach over the weekend. He has not said whether Joseph will be retained. Nebraska Athletic Director Trev Alberts released this statement. I was made aware of the charges against Coach Joseph and given the nature of the allegations and based on a university policy, he has been placed on administrative leave. You'll have no additional comment at this time. It is championship weekend. Here is our ABC College Football Conference Championship Saturday triple header. A tremendous weekend of college football on ABC and the ESPN app. All right, we've already done the previews. The hard work is out of the way. Now it's time for predictions, Stanford Steve. I'll start with you, and let's say the Big Ten. What you got? Uh, I think it's all about the start of the game, Wendy. I feel like this is a lot like last year's Big Ten title game where Michigan had to come over the emotion of beating Ohio State, which they hadn't done in so long. So I think Purdue keeps this one close, but I'll take Michigan 34-23. Oof. Yeah, I'll, I'll go 31-27 Michigan, and I think it's going to be close. Why? Jeff Brom and that Purdue offense, they're going to play inspired ball behind Aiden O'Connell, who's coming back, and also behind Charlie Jones, who has almost 1,200 receiving yards. So I think this game is going to be a lot closer than people think, but I do think Michigan will pull it out because of their running attack. I don't think Purdue will be able to stop it. I, I didn't know you guys were giving scores. You're going overachiever on me today. I like it. Big, <laughs> next level. All right, Steve. Uh, how about the Big 12, if you will? I think this is a really, really good, tough game for TCU. We talked about it earlier in the show. Kansas State is a pain in the butt to play, especially a second, a second time in the same season. So I think T, uh, TCU wins, but I think it's super close. I'll take TCU 28-27. 
Ooh, let me take your score and double it. I'll go TCU 41-38. I think it'll be a higher scoring affair for a couple reasons. Number one, we talked about it. Will Howard, quarterback for Kansas State. When he started and played, he's putting up numbers are in the 40s, scoring touchdowns, 13 touchdowns, two picks. And then TCU, we know how explosive their offense is. So I'm going to say in higher scoring game, TCU still pulls it out. All right, no defense for Sam Macho. Who needs it? All right, how about the Pac-12, Steve? <laughs> Uh, I, I look at Utah. There's not a team I would want to play less a second time than Kyle Whittingham in Utah. I think Utah gets a couple more stops than USC does. I think Utah wins 31-30. And, and when you talk about no defense, uh, I'm going 48-38 USC. I think it's going to be another high-scoring affair. Last time they played, both teams scored over the 40s. We know how great Caleb Williams has been, but also we know how bad USC's defense has been. So I think USC will win this game. I think Caleb Williams will play great, especially late, and I think it'll be a high-scoring game. Listen, I'll circle back to what Steve said, because if you didn't hear Kyle Whittingham earlier about the underdog, he just sounded like he was not the least <laughs> bit concerned. If that trickles down to his team, I think they may be on to something. All right, give me the American Conference, Steve. I think Tulane gets their revenge. They play better than they did. We touched on it. UCF ran for over 330 yards the first game. I like Tulane 28-24. I like Tulane as well. I think they're going to win. I think they're going to avenge their loss from earlier in the season. I think they'll be ready for John Rice Plumley. And I also don't remember what my score prediction is. But I like Tulane to win. <laughs> All right. Two, two to go quickly. The SEC. Steve. Uh, I think LSU keeps it closer than the uh, experts think in Las Vegas, Wendy. I'll take Georgia 30 to 20. Nah, Georgia blows Ooh, them out. I think I was at like 41-17. It's going to be not pretty. <laughs> One word, ACC. Steve? Clemson. Clemson. Uh, we did it! See you tomorrow, everybody. Have a great night.